Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The following podcast was originally recorded as a live stream for YouTube on January 17th, 2021, and has been edited slightly to account for the fact that you can't see what's going on. Proceed at your own risk. Hey folks, this is Steven with another of the Just Another Fanboy live streams. Uh, I have to apologize for the lighting. It's, It's never happened before but for some reason the sunlight which should be on the other side of the house right now is causing a lot of darkness and it's just it's just weaving in and out and it's it's starting to drive me a little crazy but we're just going to handle it because i don't got time to be moving stuff around we are here to talk and i have a guest here this week as i do every week i've always got a guest that's no surprise to y'all but this week i'm talking to fellow podcaster i consider him a like the podcasting godfather. One of them. There's a few. He's one of them. And we're talking to Peter Rios. Oh, <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Did you just get that? Always. No, I have had that. If we, you know, you mentioned about my theater career. I directed Spamalot at one point. So I saw um, that. That's. I was like really excited when I saw that you directed Spamalot. I think that's yeah. really cool. <laughs> How are you? I've, I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Doing real good. You, let, you, uh, let me, I'll say this. Comics podcasting. I don't know if podcast podcasting might be too general for, for you know what I mean. No, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it. I don't want yeah. I don't want people to like suddenly go. Oh, he's getting a big brain about all this stuff. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yes, the comics podcast OG. Yeah, that's that's what I'd call you. It's like you and Derek, uh, Derek Coward, mm-hmm. uh, both of you guys, because you're both. I mean, after you left Comic Geek Speak, and we'll probably talk a little bit about Comic Geek Speak, but after you left CGS, you started doing the Daily Rios, which is more than just a podcast. It's blogging. It's all kind of stuff. But the podcasting that you do now is a single voice podcast. And um, I find that I'm I'm a single host podcast. And so guys like you and Derek who uh, can do it and do it well, you provide me with the bit of inspiration you're the meaning in my life you're my inspiration how are you holding up during the pandemic 
Good. You know, uh, 2021 kind of rejuvenated me a little bit, even with all the craziness going on. Um, I decided to, I, you know what it was? I found a new project when, when I find a new project and, and, um, and I'm excited about it. It kind of makes all the rest of the stuff, uh, come together, you know, like because we've been in quarantine for so long in isolation, it felt like I was like a hamster in a wheel, just sort of spinning and spinning and doing the same things to try to stay sane, working remotely, doing the geek stuff as much as I could. But then I think with this new year, I finally said, okay, try to try to think a little differently and, and, and move on from there, you know, and find the stuff that makes you happy. Um, yeah. What's, are you talking about the Smallville thing that you're doing? Yeah. 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 So I, I, you know, you mentioned the daily, daily Rios, which I started a year after leaving CGS. Uh, I took that time off number one, because I was so busy. I was like busy with work and, um, I used to travel back from Philadelphia to Reading to, to record the CGS stuff. So that was getting to be a lot too. So I took that year off and I, I sort of thought, okay, what can I do in podcasting that might be fun for me, creative for me, but also might get listeners, right? I don't want to do the same old thing as much as I can, even though I wound up, you know, um, with formats that were kind of familiar. So I, what I did was I went back to the original, you know, you talked about OG podcasting. Anybody that started podcasting from late 2004 to the end of 2005, a lot of the content was personal, was short, um, voyeuristic uh, to, many, to, to many degrees. I mean, some of the top podcasters were people who were just husband and wife, a husband and wife or a couple. So, so the whole daily thing, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to do a daily thing. It's going to be, some episodes are going to be short. Some episodes are going to be long. So the daily thing has haunted me since then. Cause I did that first year, five days a week. And then I was like, ugh, that was hard. But I decided to do the daily Smallville this year because the 20th anniversary is in October. You're wearing a Superman hat right now. Yeah. Um, 20th anniversary in October. I did the math. I did, I did my gazintas. And, uh, if I did one season a month, 10 seasons, that would take me to October, which is when it aired in 2001. The, uh, episodes are blog episodes, which is different for me. It's just note format. It's not even real, real. There's, you're not going to read it. You're just sort of going to skim it. And then I'm doing one episode a week based on those five episodes, five or six episodes. So that's my new daily part of the daily Rios. Yeah. Well, I read your first five um, because I was really into Smallville. Um, it was, it was a, it was a freaking good show and it was, there, yeah. there wasn't a lot of nerd stuff out there for us. Um, right. Have, has the episode gone up yet? Your weekly episode? I did one and I'm, I, I need to do the second week. Okay. Uh, soon. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm having conversations with like other people on text and elsewhere where, you know, we give a lot of credit to Blade and X-Men and Spider-Man, but those, and those are movies. But we sort of forget that Smallville was on TV when there wasn't a lot of TV content, not like today, when yeah. something something new drops every week. Um, 
And it ran for 10 years. And uh, I was talking to Daryl Taylor of the Taylor Network. And he said, you know, that show really helped the WB survive. And I think when you talk about TV, superheroes on TV, you have to talk about Smallville. You just agreed. Do. Yeah. Agreed. I remember in that for the first episode, the uh, the scene where the the asteroids are hitting, the meteors are hitting. And uh, if I remember correctly, Ma and Pa Kent, the truck has been turned over. They're hanging mm-hmm. upside down. And then here comes little Clark, little Kal-El <laughs> looking in. And I remember watching that. My wife was with me. Um, and she's not a nerd like I am, but I remember watching that and I just went, it, it felt like the comic book. It just, there was something about that that just felt right. And it, and I, I just said, this is going to be a good show just yeah. from that one scene. And you were reading, uh, the man of steel, the John Byrne stuff, or you are still reading it. I'm not sure. Yeah. If I'm rereading it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff that you can make connections back and forth, not only to that, to the first movie, um, to the old Superboy TV series. I mean, it really kind of. It, it, it blended all that stuff and also um, played with the whole Dawson's Creek formula yep. and became this hit that, that went beyond just geekdom, right? And, and average American was watching it or average TV person was watching it. And I feel like some of the stuff that I see in this first season, which is surprisingly good, uh, uh, even though it's just the kryptonite monster of the week season, you know? Yeah. Um, there's elements in this show that they're still doing in Flash and they're still doing in Riverdale and they're still doing in all of the superhero content that we see today. And, and it's been 20 years in 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, do you know about the, the actress that plays Chloe Sullivan? You know what? Yeah. What's happened to her? <laughs> and and apparently Kristen Kruick as well. Um, really? Yeah, she was involved in that whole story wow. too. And I, I, I saw a timeline of when that happened. So I'm curious to see how it affects their characters on the TV show. Because I know Kristen Kruick leaves at one point. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just real curious to see how it all yeah. plays out. Yeah, I've been meaning to rewatch it, but I just I just haven't gotten around to it. There's just too much other stuff going on. But just reading those first five blog posts, I remembered, you know, everything you talked about in the episodes, all the notes you took, I I could totally remember. So it's not like I was reading your blog. I don't remember that happening, you know, none of that. But it was it was fun. And it's interesting to hear about uh, the mansion how many times that mansion has been used in other shows and whatnot throughout the years. Right. Cause I knew I, I have tried to watch arrow. I've tried to, I've watched the first episode twice and it's, it's not for me. I don't know what it is about that show, but it's not for me, but I knew I recognized that freaking house. <laughs> I'm like that. That's Lex Luthor's house. That's right. Yeah. That's funny. That's that the, X, that's the X mansion. That's the, yeah. you know, yeah, they use it so much. Well, that's, that's because, you know, all that stuff, they send all their <clears throat> film people up to Vancouver because of, of cheaper filming uh, costs, uh, tax credits, probably. So Vancouver has become a centralized place. Battlestar Galactica filmed there. There's a lot of times, not only do the actors cross from like Battlestar, Smallville, Arrow, Flash, but then also the sets. And you start to see certain sets and you're like, okay, yeah. that's, that's the... Uh, 
that's the facade of the building from Battlestar Galactica where Boomer and what's his name first noticed that there were uh, Cylons on Earth. And it's like, okay, you start to see the same thing. Unfortunately, what happens is sometimes that little cross, um, uh, that, that crossing of actors especially it's like, oh, not this guy again or not this girl again. And it's yeah. like, can we get some new blood, please? But yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah, Supernatural, it was also done in mm. Vancouver. So you see a lot of those crossover, too. As a matter of fact, I wasn't the guy who, who played Dean. He was in Smallville yeah. near the end for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they all bounce around. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's you know, as, as being an actor, too, a theater actor, but I, I really sort of pay attention to that. And I, and I, I see it a lot. And, and it just, I start to see the uh, movie making or TV making rather than just sort of watching the show. It's kind of like when I go see theater, I'll sit back and I got to make sure I'm turning that director brain off sometimes if I really just want to try to enjoy the show. And I do yeah. it with TV all the time. Yeah, no, I get that because you start to learn little things. And then when you pick up on that, when you're watching TV and whatnot, it kind of can kind of take you out. The worst one for movies is the is the blue gold or blue orange aspect. You ever, you know, where they, mm. they, they film, if you want a certain look in movies, you give your actors a lot of blue to wear and you, and the atmosphere is kind of like orangey, whether it's the sky mm. or whatever. And, and then when you, I, when the first time I read about that, I, I don't, I forget what they call it. I don't think it's the golden hour thing, but it's, it's something related to that. I've noticed it everywhere now. And I'm like, Oh, there they go. Blue and orange, blue and orange, blue and orange. And it's like, it's kind of frustrating. So when you get a show that actually has color or introduces something different, you're like, you really notice it. And and, um, I think it happens a lot in sort of like your standard action movies or uh, movies that they're not trying to be, they're not trying to do anything, but just make a movie, you know? So, So I don't know if you remember this, but we met once in real life. Okay. Um, You were still with CGS. It was the year that you guys had decided that you were going to try to hit as many conventions around the country as possible. And you and Pants had gone to the Kansas City. The it was Planet Comic Con. And I... I don't normally get out to conventions. I mean, they're, they're just they're really expensive. And, uh, but I took my son and I said, well, when's the next time I'm going to have a chance to meet Peter Rios? Uh, plus Scotty Young was there and Colin Bunn was there and I hadn't met mm-hmm. those guys yet. And so, yeah, we came wasn't, up and wasn't that 2011? Maybe. Cause I think it was sort of the last, the yeah. last year of C that I was in CGS. We had, we hit, yeah. um, C2E2 the week before and then we, stayed in Chicago for a few days and then went down and hit planet comic-con because it was, it was, first of all, it was the very next week and it was close. Um, and we had a lot of fun there. We had a lot of, yeah, we had a real, we, we, we met a whole bunch of, like you said, listeners that we hadn't seen before. That was part of the, the, the thing was go places where we hadn't been. We got invited to, to, um, uh, I think I hosted a few panels and we had a Gail Simone interview that we did at our booth. Um, yeah, that, that was great. I think we also, is that the one where we, we spent like sometimes at some time at Freddie Williams studio, the artist Freddie Williams, we got Maybe. to the studio. Yeah. yeah, that was great. That was fun. That was fun uh, to go somewhere new and, and to hit a convention like that. And the people there were awesome. They were so awesome. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny because me being the, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a very socially awkward person when it comes to meeting people for the first time in real life. You know, I can do this. I can talk to people on the phone. I'm, I'm better in text. But when I'm face to face with somebody, it's so it's, so I go to this convention and I and I, you know, spend the money. We get in there. And ultimately, I think our meeting was just chalked up to me going, hey, what's up, uh, Steve? Uh, yeah, just another fanboy. Yeah. And that was about it. <laughs> like the podcast, as you guys, you know, you guys are really good. That's funny. and that was that that was about the same thing when I met Scotty Young and Colin Bunn. I'm just like, hey, like your stuff, because I didn't have anything for anybody to sign. I didn't have any other reason to talk to anybody. Right. So I, I, I mean, and you're so you're so you know you're so full of life on your own show. You know, with the with the commercials and all this. Stuff. Like I, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I was well. <laughs> I told you this is all an act back here. Yeah. Everybody's probably like, oh, that's a cool setup. And I just did it like five minutes before. <laughs> I was like, what can I put on there to make this ugly shelf look, not ugly shelf, but just give me some background. Yeah. Nice. I'm seeing a uh, OMAC. Is that OMAC back there? And yeah. The Dark Mirror some, book. Hush. Donna, Donna Troy. Oh, nice. My girl. Yeah. Random toys that people, the Unbreakable DVD. Um, Watchmen, of course, Man of Steel yeah. back there. Yeah. I just grabbed a whole bunch of stuff. And said, Let's just so what did you think of the Watchmen movie? Did you, did you like it? You know, it, uh, where's the wrong side? Um, I did, you know, I, I, well, here's the mistake. First of all, I went with a girlfriend at the, that I was dating at the time. I, I can't remember if she, it was her suggestion or not, but a few of us went, mostly her friends. And, I, I think they just didn't get it. They just were like, this is, what is this? And, and I was watching it with the whole mindset of comparing it to the books. Um, and I can't remember what her take was. So I, I don't think my, my experience watching it for the first time was good because of just everything that was happening around. Yeah. <laughs> kind of stunk. Um, there are a lot of parts that I really do enjoy. And when you think of like a straight up adaptation of, of trying to adapt that comic, it was interesting seeing some panels come to life and some characters come to life and some were better than others. I think the ending is a complete rewrite of what um, the book is. And I think it fundamentally changes a lot about the ending and then also about the rest of the movie. Um, I'm not so much of a, of a, of a, Watchmen, um, uh, not Die Hard, but you know, I I'm, I don't get bent out of shape if they make a movie, if they make a HBO yeah. series, if they do a sequel. Um, it's fun to see these things, you know, go into other formats. So surprisingly, though, I do every now and then watch random videos on YouTube of it. Sometimes I just watch the whole thing um, in the background just to kind of hear it. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I'm not mad that it's out there. That's <laughs> like some people are. Yeah, know? yeah. I've never, I've never finished it. I've started it twice. Okay. I got further the second time. The first time I watched it, I mean, I knew I read the book, and um, but I didn't read the book until I don't know 2006, 2007. It was the okay. first time I'd ever read it. So for me, it wasn't the same as somebody reading it for the first time back in what was 85, 86 when it yep. came out. Yep. And I made the mistake. I've since learned from this mistake, but I made the mistake on the podcast of referring to it as overrated, 
which uh, do you remember Umar from uh, The Fixer's Night Out? <laughs> yes. He, he had a lot of things to say about that. And I've since oh. learned that that uh, it's not overrated. Obviously, there there's a reason why people love it. Uh, it just I just I read it at the wrong time. I read it after everything that that it had influenced had come out and I'd read all the stuff that it had influenced and then I read it. So to me, it didn't have the same impact. Right. I mean, you know, even going up to something like authority or, um, uh, Oh, I don't even know. Just, just anything that, anything that kind of, I hate to use the word, but deconstruct superheroes or, or tries to put a new spin on it in one way or another, probably owes itself to Watchmen somehow, consciously, subconsciously. And you're right. Like when I read it, I was reading it at the time it came out. And let's see, 85, I was uh, 12 or 13, 14 when it came out. So I'm reading this book that, first of all, I don't even know if the store was supposed to sell me the book, but they did. Um, (laughs) uh, And... It was a book, and, and I'm sure older people probably, they were, like, hit with the importance of it. But there was some great buildup with the ads. There were all these characters, and it was kind of like just reading this comic and kind of blowing my mind. The biggest thing that happened back in the 80s, I always like to try to pinpoint this when talking about Watchmen. Yes, I'm sure there are people who were like, this is this is breaking and they're writing reviews and blah, 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 blah. At our comic store, Golden Eagle, actually, the first at the first um, store, uh, everybody was talking about the mystery issue to issue mm-hmm. and coming up with these crazy theories of the, the best one is anytime somebody had a jacket that had like twist, like a, like a, a belt, and if you saw the belt in the form of a, I can't do it with my fingers, in, in, in the form of like a scythe, like a, like a, a hangman's or a, a, a death's scythe, that person was going to die like either by the end of the series or in the next issue. So everybody was like looking, Ooh, mm. you know, Miss Jupiter has it. Ooh, the night owl has it. You know, of course it didn't turn out to be true. And then the other great um, speculation was that the, the, the mystery of who killed comedian, everybody thought, the comedian killed the comedian. Yeah. Everybody thought the comedian that died was a clone and the real comedian uh, had come in because they were talking about like DNA and all this other kind of stuff. So for us, it was like the mystery, at least for my group of friends, which included older and younger people. Um, and then, yeah, you know, like when you, when you have a book like that and you have a book like Dark Knight and you have Born Again and Miracle Man, all these things just one right after the other, you, you got a sense like, okay, stuff, stuff is happening. The the comics are getting better. Right. Um, but did we, did I know it was going to be what it was going to be at the time? No. And I think you're right. Reading it after the fact, sure. Some people probably would go, "Mm," but I think you then you, if you, that's if you read it casually. Right. Once you put it into perspective. Yeah you start to understand and you can respect something like that a right. bit more. Yeah. yeah, you could go back and you can sort of go, oh, I see. At the time, there were books that led up to this and, and had certain weight and gravity. But um, it really did, by the fifth, sixth, seventh issue, it was, it was like a bombshell every issue. 
Yeah. It's like I had a friend at work once, a guy that I work with once say that he thought the Beatles were overrated. And I said, no, you can't say that. You can say you don't like them. That's fine. You can not right. like the Beatles, right. but you can't say that they're overrated because pretty much anything you listen to nowadays was influenced by the Beatles. You'd just the, the the strangest musical artists you'd find would reference the Beatles as, as an inspiration. You know, you could, so I, I think it was at that point that I went, Oh, now I get what the fixer, what Omar was, was saying, you know? Right. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, uh, you can't deny influence, but I think when people say overrated, they're, 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 they're taking away the influence and you just, whether you, like you said, whether you like something or not, you can't, you just yeah. can't take it away. Yeah. So, um, all right, well, let's, I know you talk about CGS a lot, but I think I'm more interested in, in talking about CGS uh, just in regard to the way podcasting was then and how it is now, because it is much different. Sure. Um, it was a smaller pond back then. Um, and now I think everybody and their mom has a podcast. Um, I say all the time that, um, one of the reasons probably I don't have a lot of listeners these days is because a, I'm in a niche podcast as it is comic books. And then I've narrowed the scope down even further by being a single host and not a lot of people dig the single host. I don't, you know, whatever. But, uh, what, what was it about? Um, I mean, other, okay. So there's the obvious, um, podcasting back then was not as easy to get into as far as what you needed to get started, how you got the podcast out there nowadays, hell, you just, you got a phone. That's all you need anymore. You, exactly. A phone and a way to access the internet and you got a podcast. Right. Um, what are, what are some of the other big differences between now and then? Social media is a huge difference. Um, we didn't have social media back then to the degree that it is now. Again, we're talking early March, 2005, the first year. I mean, we joined Twitter in 2008. Yeah. So, and before that was MySpace and something called comic space. And I, you know, I think Facebook was around, but again, it, none of the, none of the social media was the level. So I think the difference is nowadays, everybody has a voice, even if you don't have a podcast, if you have a Twitter account, you think you have a voice. Like if you have 200 people or you have 2 million people, you know, um, it, you know, Facebook is the same way, right? Everybody's dumping their opinion. So I think it's this, this notion of your opinion getting out there and who's responding or who's reacting to it. And at that time, the way our social media, um, was everything we did on forums, you know, yep. we had our own forum. So I think that is a big, that, that was a big equalizer. Um, because you could also get your content out there. So not only are you just fighting for people to find your podcast and download it. Oh, now everybody can blast their podcast on Twitter, Instagram, elsewhere. And there's also a whole bunch of different formats, you know, between, releasing on Spotify, YouTube, YouTube is a big competitor now. Um, I'm really surprised at, um, and you're doing this now, right? Cause this is a video content thing. So my younger niece and nephew, excuse me, um, they can sit there and watch people play video games and watch, um, people unwrapping things and, and they love it. I, 
tend to, th- I, I can't watch something because when I watch it, that's the only thing I can do. I can't multitask, you know? Yeah. But if I'm listening to a podcast, I can do other things. So YouTube was a big competitor too. So I think just like you said about uh, the, the sort of emptiness of how much geek stuff we had in the early 2000s, we also didn't have a lot of distractions in that regard as well when it came to social media. So that's and, probably one of the biggest ones. And CGS was pretty big back in the day. I mean, I think it was you guys and iFanboy, maybe around comics. The, in my mind, those were the three big comic podcasts. Yeah, I think they were the three loudest comic podcasts. You can definitely give it that. I mean, we our lists, our numbers were sort of crazy. Um, I used to, the, the way I would factor how we were, the size of CGS compared to like iFanboy, iFanboy had a website prior to their podcast, like for a number of years. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were the other ones that also got a lot of numbers around comics was, was, which spawned out of CGS uh, in the early days um, was, was, <laughs> I think the reason, bless you, whoever that was. That's my daughter. I was like, what's that? <laughs> um, I think they, what was good about them was they were not trying to be other, like the other ensemble podcasts. Like a lot of time you get, you know, you talk about this solo host versus ensemble. Most of the reasons why some ensemble podcasts don't last is because they try to be too big too early. And they try to go, we're going to have 10 segments an episode. It's going to be three hours long. And, but they never let you get to know who these hosts are. Most yeah. of the times they weren't friends to begin with, or they were, they just, they're just sort of like mutual friends from online. So even to this day, like Geek Syndicate is still around. Those are two friends from the UK. Yeah. Um, uh, Comic News Insider every now and then has the two original hosts. They were, they were friends. So the ones that you understood who the hosts were in an ensemble format, I think that's the reason why longevity worked. Um, and the, the, the way that we used to sort of go, okay, how do we know that we were getting traction and how do we know that we're really reaching a lot of people? We used to every now and then get an email from like a creator and say, Hey, you, you just mentioned my book. You didn't do an interview. You just mentioned it. And I got more orders from that mention than like an ad in wizard or, a pop-up ad on Newsarama on the website or something like that. And I was, we were like, whoa, that's crazy. So doing the conventions also helped because, yeah. you know, we got out there. We did a really big one in 2006 and 2008. Um, can you do that now? I think it's, I think it's really hard to start an ensemble podcast now. Um, I, I barely listen to any of them because something about them just, if they start to feel like they are, spawned out of like the zoo crew madness of radio i don't want to listen to it you know um when they're more interested in telling each other jokes about whatever as opposed to like a discussion you know i want discussion that's what i want yeah yeah that's the thing there are there are just so many freaking podcasts out there and you know, I, I dabble here and there. I, I try to start new ones. I'll, I'll, I'll hear about one that sounds interesting. And But yeah, if the hosts don't work well together, if, um, yeah, there, there, there's got to be a bit of chemistry. I mean, that's why um, it's one of the reasons why CGS worked because you guys, I mean, you guys just hung out at the comic book store 
I mean, ultimately what CGS was the way I, the way, the way it was to me was somebody brought a microphone into the comic book store and you guys were just talking about comics. I mean, you had your segments, you had the, the, the stump, the Rios and the, the, the junk like that. But, um, you could tell that you guys liked each other and that you got along. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I liked half hour wasted. Yeah. And still like half hour wasted because those guys are just the best of friends and they're, they're, they, they have that rapport. Um, but yeah, sometimes, and if, <clears throat> you know, I, I go out there like on the, on the Reddit, they have a uh, podcasting subreddits and you'll see a lot of posts out there with, Hey, I'm starting a podcast. I want to talk about this. Does anybody want to join me? And they just grab strangers from all across the country and they start podcasting and sometimes it works and send them, but most of the time it doesn't. Yeah, um, it's hard. It's, you know, this whole, I think the reason why, maybe why you do the solo thing and, you know, why Derek Coward has done the solo thing for so long and so many other people is, first of all, you set your own rules, you set your own pace, you set your own discussion, you know, and, and, you know, listening to your show, you understand that even though you're doing a solo podcast, you are talking to people. You know what I mean? I, I, yeah. Just the way you deliver, I can tell you are talking to the listeners. And sometimes I think people forget that when you're doing solo podcasts. You know, they, they kind of just talk or they ramble or whatever. And it's like, ooh, you're not really – you're still having a conversation, even though you're a solo podcast. So with Ensemble, the hardest thing is – the other good thing, you know, we had eventually eight random people that were on our show, Right. Um, at the height of it, everybody had their different focus. You know, some, some were more Marvel, some were more DC, some were toys, whatever. So when you get to these ensemble podcasts today, the ones that I just, I don't know what they like either because they're worried, they're spending too much time on what they don't like about something or they all like everything. (laughs) And I'm like, uh, Can you really, you know, that's the reason why I don't talk about Star Wars, because there's enough people out there talking about Star Wars. I don't need to talk about Star Wars. You know what? I like Star Trek. I don't like Star Wars. So, no, it's not that I don't like Star Wars. I don't need to talk about Star Wars, right? So, if I don't know what you like, then why do I, first of all, why do I want to listen to what you don't like? And how do I get to know who you are? So, that's, that's tough. And. You know, I can listen to your show and, and you're talking, you know, that's the reason why I pulled out the Spamalot thing, right? Or the, the Monty Python thing, because I know that you had done some episodes. I listened to it. I learned some things about it, about the Monty Python. You made me watch um, because of your episodes and, and it's on Netflix. I was like, let me go back to the beginning and watch all of the Monty Python shows because I've never seen it, right? That to me is good podcasting. When you get me of all, when you get me to do something or buy something, that's a good podcast. You're gonna make me cry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always joke that uh, the reason I podcast is because it's like I want to. I I read a book or I watch a movie and I want to talk about it, but my wife and kids don't really want me to talk to them about it, you know, because they're not they're not into it. They don't care. If, so if it's either me talking to nobody or I'll just, you know, might as well stick a mic in front of me. Yeah. If I, if I'm the only one that listens to my show, I'm totally fine with that. That's okay. And it is kind of a fine line to walk when it, when it, when you're thinking about, uh, do you want to talk about stuff that you don't like? Um, or do you want to talk about stuff that, that you only like, you know, you can, because it can go wrong if all you're doing is talking about the books that, 
or to, to make it seem as if you just like everything. And I think there are, there are times what I try to do. Um, well, I do it on my Patreon. Uh, I pick a book every month. I pick a three or four books, like number ones. I put them out on my Patreon and I ask them, which one do you want me to buy and talk about? And then they'll vote and then I'll buy it and I'll talk about it. And I may like it. I may not. Um, but that, I don't do that for everybody, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I'm certainly have gone into a book that I haven't liked or, or my expectations were, were not met, but it's the difference of maybe that has to do with some of my theater background too. Like, can you still analyze something even though you don't like it without just going, I hated it. It sucks. Yeah. Cause that's boring. God, that's yeah. boring. And, um, but I think the other aspect, like you said, is it's why I can't, I'm, I cannot watch anything that Chris Hardwick produces, not to trash Chris Hardwick, but I do not think he dislikes anything because anything out of his mouth is, Oh my God, that's the greatest. That's I'm in my field. Uh, you know, and I just start to go, Mwah! Kevin Smith is, is getting that way to me now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Kevin Smith is definitely that way. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm done. Like if you're going that route, I can't listen because I don't, I don't know how discerning you are, you know? No, I um, agree. I remember when Kevin Smith came out to talk about Phantom Menace, when Phantom Menace, before it hit the theaters, Luke's, uh, George Lucas had had invited him up to Skywalker Ranch to watch to watch it. And he was just all over the Internet talking about this amazing new movie. And 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 it's I, I mean, I like it. I can enjoy the Phantom Menace, but it wasn't. It wasn't what he said it was. And he does that for a lot of stuff. And so whenever I hear Kevin Smith get out there and talk about how amazing this new movie is, I'm just like, man, I don't I don't trust your judgment, buddy, because you right. love everything. Right. And I think there's, I think we, but you know what? Geekdom does this a lot. We like to trot out the um, same people all the time. Yeah. And, and Kevin Smith has been around for so long that I think we need to find a new quote unquote Kevin Smith, you know? Um, And when I start to see the same people being trotted out as the representative of geek culture, I go, no, that is a very small representation of geek culture. There, there are other people that are out there that don't have the, the privilege and the, and the, the luck that he's had, you know, and, and also he's worked for it too. You know, the guy sold his collection to, yeah. right. Isn't that what he did? He sold the yeah. collection. Makes the first, I mean, he paid his dues, you know, yeah. but I don't always want him to be the only voice every time I watch something that's yeah. like, Oh, and here's the geek part, Kevin Smith. And like, Oh God, yeah. not again. You know? Yeah. So, um, it's tricky. The fine line is tricky. I think people who do podcasting for a long time um, sort of start to earn their place. You know, like um, it's only really been in the past couple of years where somebody will say, you know, what do you think about the influence of CGS? And, and I start to go, you know what? I'm going to own that, you know, like I'm going to own it from now on. Like, yeah, I, I'm not, uh, you know, I've actually been off of CGS longer than I've been on CGS. So I'm, I'm sort of done talking about it, but in the regard of regards of like the inspiration, there are a lot of podcasts that started because of CGS. There's a lot of creators that came through that we helped to foster their early careers. Um, and there's, and we made people spend money. I feel bad about that, but I also feel good about that. Like there's people who spent 
money because of that. Show. That's it's something to think about when you're doing a yeah. podcast, because there are times when I will talk about a book and I'll get to the point where I'm done talking about it. And I start to say that I would highly recommend this book. But then I think about my own budgetary restrictions. And so I, I really I try to put it out there as I wouldn't spend my own my own money on this, but then I'm low rent. I would wait until this was collected and buy it as a trade, or or I would check it out from the library. If 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 I stood out in front of people and said I would spend my money on this, then that means I it's one of my top books of the year. You know, right? So it, it is something to think about. Um, but you're right about CGS because one of my um, go to artists these days, probably my top five, top ten, is Mike Norton. And I wouldn't know about that guy. Well, I probably would by now, but sure. I don't know if Mike Norton would be. Well, no, I don't want to say he wouldn't be Mike Norton without CGS because the man's talented. Sure. But that's that's where I, you know, I got to I heard about Mike Norton and I got to know Mike Norton because of the CGS podcast. And I think there's a little bit of that there, too. It's it's the guy's a good artist, but I got to know him thanks to that podcast thanks to cgs and then of course the crankcast right he was but, smart because mike said i'm he, he emailed us and he he said guys i listened to you i really like you and we're like oh my god it's you know a creator and we we brought him on and talked to him but then he started his own podcast yeah and and he is himself right he's not trying to be anybody so um he fostered he 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 built his um audience uh, a, a recent example of that is Tom King, who went and, you know, he was just Tom King comic fan like everybody else. Right. And then he got to know people and he became friends with people. And then he was like, I'm writing a book. And he's like, I'm going to go on every podcast and talk about because he understood the power of the, the medium. Right. Um, which I think sometimes these days, you know, when you talk about the difference between back then and now, that could be another difference. Some people nowadays forget that they're, or maybe maybe the power of podcasting, the the recommendations, isn't as strong because there's also Instagram and Twitter and YouTube and all that. But there is power in hearing someone talk about something passionately, having other people talk about that thing passionately after they've absorbed it, and you understand that it's no BS, right? Like they they actually really do mean what they say. Yeah. So Tom King was like that. And then next thing you know, he's writing other, he's writing, you know, Grayson and other things. And by going on all these podcasts, he's building up his, uh, his, his fandom, you know, and, um, that is smart. That's really smart. And I'm not saying it's calculating. I'm just saying they, they kind of hit on a thing and, and went with it. And suddenly people would go to, conventions and see Mike Norton and say, Hey, I heard you on CGS. Can I buy a commission? Can I buy your, your book? Can I buy gravity back then? Right. And then the whole battle pug thing he did came out of discussions and appearances on iFanboy, you know, and, uh, and then that became a book. Yeah. <laughs> it became a shirt first and then it was like a book and all kinds of crazy, crazy things. Um, but people loved it because he has pugs in his life. You yeah. know, you know, so, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 really interesting to see the influence and the, and the cycle and, and and just the growth of it all. Well, and I think the other great thing that CGS did back in the day was you guys were really good about fostering a community, supporting um, 
other podcasters. Um, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't know if I would see that outside of, um, the, the, that comic podcast bubble, which is people genuinely wanting to help others create something that would in essence compete against what they themselves are creating. Sure. And, but nobody was doing it. You know, it wasn't nowadays you, you see uh, everybody's trying to do a podcast because they're thinking they're going to make some money out of it. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, you see the videos all over the place, how to make money out of podcasting and blah, blah, blah. But nobody was doing it to make money back then. So it's not like, I mean, what were you competing against listeners? Most people were listening to pretty much everything anyway. Right. Right. Um, but it's, you know, you guys had that forum and you even expanded on the forum and allowed, uh, other podcasts to have their own, uh, sub forums in your, in your message board. And then it became what the comic forums. And it yeah. was, it was, a, it was a, it was a neat time back then. And, and I tell you, it's, there's times that I really miss it because I, I will go out on Twitter and I'll be wanting to talk about whatever. And it's just, it's not the same. It's not the same at all. Right. And, uh, you know. I will run into folks and start talking to them on Twitter and then realize, holy crap, that's so-and-so from the old CGS days. And cause they're not using the same name right. that they, they did not using that same fake name they did back yeah. then. But um, yeah, that was Brian's idea. You know, he said, he said, let's create a one-stop shop kind of place. And so that you can, first of all, we can share listeners that way. Mm-hmm. If they're not listening to your show, but they like what you do on your forum, maybe they will listen to your show, you know? Um, you're right. The community really did fall apart. Um, and, and it was kind of like the, like 2011, 2012, 2013, when I started to notice that once discussion moved away from forums and onto the social media and, and suddenly you're getting input from people you don't even know, you know, that's when it, it all really changed and spawned negative, um, communities and, spawn negative discussion and tear it, it's i'll tell you what it's the reason why i don't like the v even though they generate a lot of views the things on video on youtube like um what's wrong with this movie and um i don't even know half because i don't watch them because i'm like right. that's the part that i don't like you know yeah. i know it's all they say it's all in fun but it's like well I, th- I understand the exercise and it's not like i i haven't ever done that kind of i haven't done that kind of thing before but really, you're, you're platforming, you're, um, you're, you're creating your content to, to pull in that kind of negative um, thing. So the minute someone hates a movie, they want to see that video because they want to celebrate the hatred yeah. of it. And it's like, I don't get that. I don't no. get that. And that's, whenever, that's when people say to me, oh, you just like to be positive all the time. That's not true. I think there are ways to talk about something in a quote unquote positive way before you get into maybe the problems you might have or whatever. Um, That's the critic in me. And when I say critic, critic, that's four years of, of theater education that I spent a lot of money on to learn how to analyze scripts, to analyze shows, to direct shows, to, to think about reviews, you know, like that's being the objective observer, not the subjective um, fan, right. you know, so. Well, and, and there's a huge difference between this is why this book didn't work for me versus this is why this book sucks. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a huge difference between those two, those two parallels because yeah. 
you know, when it comes to especially comics, uh, sometimes if I'm reading a book and I feel like I want to talk about it and, and maybe I didn't like it, the, the, something that you got to think about is, is really when it comes down to it, that comic ultimately was created by one or two, one, one, two, three, maybe four people, you know, a writer, a penciler, an inker, a colorist, a letterer, an editor, you know, and it's, <clears throat> it's a, for me, it's a lot harder to, to criticize something when I, when it's, it feels more like it's you're criticizing the person that created it and not the work itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that a lot of these, the the hater videos and the hater podcasts, I think I feel like that's they're doing, they're criticizing the person and not the work is yeah. what I feel most of the yeah. time. And I just, I'm just, I don't, I'm not into that. Yeah. And, I, and that, you know, to go back to newer podcasts, if I get that feeling, if I get that sensation early on, I can't listen. I can't yeah. listen anymore. Yeah. 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 So, um, well, let's talk about your other life. You are a, an actor, a, uh, do you, oh, so you do the musical theater. So you, you yeah. act, do you do the singing and I know yeah. you dance, Yeah, you're, uh, you do, um, choreography, you direct. I just, it's just amazes me. Um, <laughs> which, which came first for you, comics or musical theater? Uh, comics, comics yeah. came first. My uncle, <clears throat> my older uncle, um, uh, was a comics fan. He was the one who gave me a box of comics from the flea market that he had. And they, a lot of them had the covers torn, half torn off. They were late, late bronze age, like late seventies, early eighties stuff. There's a, an issue of uncanny X-Men, the first appearance of Dazzler in there, but the covers torn off, you know, um, I no longer have any of those books. I read them so much. So he was a comics fan. And then my sister, took me to uh, my first comic store, which wasn't Golden Eagle. It was another store called Kildebrands at the time. Um, so comics came first. I used to read Richie Rich. I used to read, you know, I wasn't an Archie reader. I was a Richie Rich reader. My mom, apparently, she told me when she was a kid, she used to read Little Lulu. So I was like, oh, look, kind of in the jeans, you know? Yeah. So I was a comics person, um, you know, Superman, the movie hits in 77, 78, whenever that was, 78, I guess. Um, the super friends was on TV, wonder woman, like, okay. So I'm, I'm comics. Um, but I liked, I was, I was put into dance early on and I liked movies like that, like Greece and Saturday night fever and fame and footloose, but really musicals didn't hit until the ninth grade. Um, I used to play in the pit band. I used to play uh, synthesizer piano in the pit band while my friends were up on stage. And then in my ninth grade year, they said, you should really do theater. First of all, you should do the show. First of all, there's a lot of girls in it. Secondly, it's a lot of fun. So I was like, okay, I'll do it. And then when I did it, the director at the time yelled at me and she said, why haven't you been doing theater all this time? <laughs> so that's when the bug hit and, and, in um, ninth grade. So that was uh, 1987, I think. So I was well into comics by that time. Yeah. But then neither of those things stopped. Yeah. So you kind of had a knack for it. Yeah. Whether it's because I'm Puerto Rican or, uh, you know, got natural rhythm dancing. Everybody in my family has some kind of art background, whether it's, Mm -hmm. we were all put into dance, but then some of us also were put into music or art. One of them uh, owns their own florist flower shop for the last 30, 35 years. One of them 
uh, restores cars, you know, so something we still keep in the art world some way or another. My other sister used to own a dance studio. Um, so the two things in my life that you can, three things you could say, comics, theater, candy is the third one, but that's not, we're not talking about that. Um, but definitely theater and comics. Yeah. So at what point did you say, uh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Because it's, it is what you do. You're not like going to a day job, uh, working at a call center. And then on the weekends you're doing community theater. I mean, this is what you do. This is what I do. Yeah. Um, so when I went to school, uh, or when I, when I decided to go to school, I actually took two years off after high school. So I didn't go to college right away. Um, cause I didn't know what I wanted. I thought I was going to be an artist, which would have been dangerous. Cause we're talking, I graduated in 1990 and, um, the, the way computers had changed graphic art and all that throughout the nineties, had I gone to school for graphic art or some or commercial art or whatever, the minute I graduated, I would have been outdated, you know? Um, so I thought I was going to be an artist and I took two years off. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I found an art program. And I, so I, I finally went to a uh, performing arts university and that's kind of what then, you know, from there it's just been all, and it's been up and down, you know, there's a reason why they call it starving artists sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I've been fortunate that I've been able to, stay consistent and work enough to make a living out of it. Um, boy, it's going on excuse me, going 25 years. Bless you again. Um, that, that was my other daughter. <laughs> 25 years doing theater. And um, it's, it's a hard business. It's, it's dead right now, you know, because of the pandemic, but uh, fortunately I can teach and do other things. Nice. I was going to yeah. say, what's it, what's, how's it been this past year with, with the pandemic since obviously you guys aren't probably doing a lot of live performing. No. And there's been stuff on zoom and there's been people trying to invent new ways of doing theater. And it's great. I think it's great. I think it's a younger person's game, you know, like they're going to come up with how to navigate theater uh, virtually. I, I, look at it and I miss theater, you know, I miss the sort of live aspect and, um, uh, and that's unfortunate, but we'll get back to it eventually. So really right now it's like everybody's in a ever present present, you know, mm -hmm. we just got to keep working our craft. It's a good time to watch stuff, you know, like Hamilton being dropped on Disney was a good thing and they should do more of that. Um, as long as they're paying their actors. Um, yeah, I think it's it's difficult, and and there's some movement. You know, we're we're seeing some things starting to happen, coming back slowly. Um, I'm I'm glad that I have a teaching aspect to all of this that I don't have to worry about doing theater, but I do miss it. Yeah, yeah. Is there an aspect of it you like more than the others? Do you do you like the singing more than the dancing, or the dancing more than the the acting, or is it just the fact that you can do all three? Because because it really is more of a, I mean you've got act you you've got theater that's just you know you go to a play and they're acting and 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 but musical theater is more of a there's just more to it there's right. you you got to be a triple threat yeah you know and, and someday uh, you know some aspects you have to you have to have five different threats yeah. you have to sing act dance kind of good to maybe sometimes have some uh, acrobatics and some some tumbling in you. Um, and then there was a craze where 
uh, actors on stage were playing instruments during a musical, you know, so now you got to also have to play an instrument, you know? So, um, it's, I don't know. I think it depends on the show. Like I really liked performing and then I used to choreograph. I've been choreographing since I was 16. Um, where I grew up, we had a really great community theater, uh, scene. So I was lucky that I was able to do these kind of things at a really young age. Uh, but I love performing. Then when I got in direct to, into directing, I liked directing a lot. Um, I think the thing that frustrates me the most about directing is sometimes you get, you know, you get some actors in there that they think they're done learning and, you know, it's kind of like, then they're no fun. They're no fun to play with in your rehearsals because they, you know, there's just no fun. There's no collaboration there. Um, I would love to get back to performing. I haven't done it in a long time because I, I really would like other people to tell me what to do. <laughs> um, and I think there's some really interesting new works and there are some new people with new voices these days that I would love to be under because then I would get to learn what they think about theater. So it's yeah. one of the reasons why I love college is teaching at a college is because I get to hear what each new generation is, is fawning over what they're gravitating towards, what they're listening to. Um, they've turned me on to a bunch of new, new shows that I wouldn't have listened to, um, and new directors and new performers. So, uh, it's like comics, you know, you, if you're only stuck in a certain era, that's great if that's what you want, but unless you experience another era format, whatever you, you don't really have a voice then for it. You know, you can say you don't like it, but it's not necessarily because you have experience with it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever written? for musical theater? No, I'm a terrible writer. Really? I'm a terrible writer. Because <laughs> my next question was, have you ever thought of merging your two loves and creating a, a musical about a guy who loves comics or something, you know? Not a superhero musical. We've right. seen those. Yeah, Spider-Man didn't work. Um, and there's a there's the old, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman from way back. Yeah. Um, there's actually, I think I posted it on Twitter, I found a musical that I, know, I hadn't heard about called Superhero. And it was about a kid who um, is into comics. And they don't use established comic characters, but they use the comic. Yeah. Well, so I listened to it, and it's very derivative of a lot of other things. So I didn't enjoy it as much. Um, and then, of course, Fun Home. Fun Home um, was a comic, graphic novel, and then that became a musical, surprisingly. And it won, it won some big award. I want to say a Pulitzer, but I don't remember. And it actually is a very good musical. So it's really strange. And it was interesting to see how they translated the main character being a comic artist onto the screen, onto theater. And, and the person would draw and yeah. then you'd see it up in the, in the rafter. It was kind of cool. So the two worlds do meet, surprisingly. Um, but like I said, I'm a terrible writer. And I know people say, well, the only way you can get around that is by writing. But I've even when I do blog posts, I don't understand grammar and where does this comma go and what's a semicolon versus a colon. And I, that's not my thing. You know, I have ideas. Yeah. I wish I could write. Maybe I should write and just let an editor fix it up, but I'm a terrible writer. So what I think I could do better is I, I, I would really love to be like a, an artistic director yeah. where you can watch what people have done and then sort of look at it and go, great, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. I think you should, move this here or, you know, pace this differently. Like I'm really good at that. It goes back to the whole analysis thing. Um, 
I think that's where my strengths lie more than being a writer. Like even the commercials that you do and the fun, like I can't do that. And I'm an actor and I can't, you know, I, I can't riff an improv, you know, that's not where my strengths in acting lie. (laughs) Well, the nice thing about the podcast is that, uh, I'm not exactly, I mean, there is some riffing and some improvising, but sometimes it's me sitting there with the mic on for, 10 or 20 seconds thinking of something funny to say and then maybe saying four or five things and then the magic of editing makes (laughs) it sound like i'm just really clever and witty editing is amazing people think like wow you just do that you just hit record and go and i'm like (laughs) you don't know how many burps i've just cut out and pauses and stumbling over words that or forgetting the english language you know just forgetting words and just it's terrible well, I'll tell you something that I just discovered over the last six months in uh, I record using Audacity. All the time that I podcasted back in like 2006 to 2008, and, and I've been podcasting now for almost two years, just discovered it in Audacity. And it's a thing called truncate silence. <sighs> and you just select the whole file and it takes out, you know, if you're sitting there for five minutes not saying anything, it just takes all that out and shortens it down to little Oh my God, that has saved me so much time editing, yeah. just pulling all that out. And that's good. You have, I know some people use that too, but they, what winds up happening is they don't sound like they're, they don't stop talking. Yeah. Right? yeah they, I, I don't know if there's a way, I guess maybe there's ways to send. You could, it's, I found that it's easier to add um, pauses than it is to take away the, the unnecessary pauses. For me, I pause so much that, uh, you know, once I take it all out and then I, I'm going back and listening to it, I can go, okay, that didn't sound natural because I'm just right. blah, 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 blah. So I'll right. just throw a couple of quick pauses in there and yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Then that's, I think that's, you know, if anybody's listening that uses it and doesn't realize, like, I don't know, like, it sounds like you do the same thing I do. I record an episode. I listen to it while I edit it. And then I listen to it again after it's edited Yeah, and just to make sure everything is right. So that's, you know, at least two times, two, three times that you're doing it. But sometimes I do hear that and it's like, they just talk and then, and then something gets clipped and it's just, it doesn't yep. sound natural. So yep. that's a scary thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't use that tool because uh, it wouldn't work for me because I'd be too nervous, but um, yeah. I don't mind listening to, you know, what else do I got to do? I'm just sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I'm going to put you on the spot, musical okay. theater spot. If, if there are five musicals, because I'm not a musical guy. Now, I will I will tell you that I will I have watched musicals, I have gone to musicals, and I mm-hmm. always seem to enjoy them, but it's not something that I seek out. So if you were to say, here are the five musicals that are from from now till the beginning that you need to see, what are those five musicals? You need to see. You need to actually mm-hmm. like sort of whether it's live or otherwise, not just right. listen. Yeah. Um, okay. Oof. Yeah, that is that's uh, that's a hard one. Um, I will say okay, so I'll start with Hamilton just because it's out there. But I think the thing about Hamilton is I need to get my phone for this. Um, the The reason why Hamilton was so successful is because it used um, content that could bring in an audience that maybe isn't used to musical theater because the music is not all musical theater. It's, it's got mixes of, of R and B and rap and, um, 
you know, um, ballads from that sound like they're off the radio. And, and it's to, the vernacular that they used is comfortable to the ear, even if it is spoken fast and all that. Plus watching it, it's almost like a, a whirlwind, a whirlwind of events. You just, it's like, it just doesn't stop. It just kind yeah. of keeps going, keeps going. So that's one that I feel like definitely, um, uh, you should experience whether you come out of it liking it or not. That's not the point, right? Like, just, and I, I have Disney though. Plus, and yet I haven't watched it yet, and I don't okay. know why. I, I have no excuse. I need. I've been telling myself because I know that um, my daughter is she. She likes musicals, and there's really no reason why we haven't watched it. But. Right. Um, and I and don't try not to make a, a thing of it. Like, if you are going to watch it, don't go. Okay, today's the day. Let's get the popcorn because then I think you're going to hype it up. Just sort of yeah. like like oh, I got nothing. Oh, you know what? Let me watch it. It's Just, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I had to pull up a list of like because you know suddenly I couldn't yeah. remember any musical. Um, I think everybody should watch Singing in the Rain. I think it is the finest movie musical, even if it's not your favorite or the best. It is. Um, it is so clever. It is uh, fun to watch. Uh, Donald O'Connor is amazing in it. I know Gene, you know, so is Gene Kelly, obviously, but Donald. And the history behind how they made that movie as a tribute to making movies um, is is just clever and, and just fun. So it's like, you got to watch Singing in the Rain. Like, I feel like that's, that's a no-brainer. Uh, hmm to watch. See, that's the thing. Cause some of these you can't really watch because uh, they're not out there. I guess West side story, you know, it's, it's sort of cliche. Um, so what I always think about when I think of yeah. West side story, it's another musical that has a lot of history to it. Um, it, it's, it's kind of perfect in many ways. Excuse me. Um, and it has some drama, I mean, the movie won Oscars, you know, and, and there's something visceral about watching West Side Story, I think, sometimes. So the, one, the first time I did West Side Story, we did it outside in a city park. Uh, we had a three-story sca- three scaffolding set. We did it on a basketball court. By the time you got to the dance at the gym in the show, um, the, the, we basically went through sunset. Like, it was starting to be twilight. Hmm. Every now and then, a random ambulance would go by you know it's and it just added so much ambiance to the show so west side story is is pretty phenomenal um i really like even though it's different than the stage musical i like the movie hair which was directed by milos foreman i have seen hair yeah yeah it gives it a little bit more of a story in the movie which i like um it's out there dancing by Twyla Tharp. The dancing is amazing. It's, it's a crazy story. It's a crazy musical. Uh, it's an, it's a product of its time, yeah. but it's, it's pretty phenomenal. So what you, you said you saw, what'd you think of it? It's been a while. Um, all I can really remember from it is, um, man, I can't even think of the, the main dude that's in it. Uh, uh, treat Williams. Yeah. Treat Williams. I remember the line wax and flaxen. About the long, luxurious hair or whatnot. Yeah, um, yeah. And then isn't Age of Aquarius, doesn't it, that come from that as well? That's what it yeah. starts with, yep, yep. Yeah, I don't, re- I honestly don't quite remember what it was about. Um, But I feel like 
I mean, I know the whole point of the hair that these they were hippies. Um, Vietnam was that part of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. war. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's been it's a while. About, it's been a lot. It's about a lot of things, and the, and the the stage musical doesn't help. Um, it's it's kind of you know all over the place, and you have to kind of make something out of it. But yeah, um, I'm looking at some. I'm looking at movie musicals that uh, maybe aren't off the the. Uh, okay, here's one that's not. It wasn't a stage play first. It's its own movie musical. But did you see Rocket Man? The story about Elton John? No, I have not. Oh, it's fantastic. Is it? Yeah, and okay. so at the same, um, Rocket Man and Bohemian Rhapsody came out at the same time. Bohemian Rhapsody seemed to take everybody's attention, whereas I think Rocket Man is, I think it's much better. It uses the music in interesting ways mm. and it, and it remembers that it's still a movie. So it, it does some trippy things here and there. Um, so rocket man is, is, you know, that's maybe that's like my, my tangent, um, uh, off, off the track kind of list. Oh, you can't look now, now that I'm seeing all these, you can't go wrong with Greece from the seventies. Well, yeah, I've seen Greece many times. Yeah. Greece. Look, footloose was sort of a movie musical producers producers the okay, I mean, yeah. from, from the original zero mostel one to the matthew broderick nathan lane one is yeah. pretty great um rocky horror picture show gotta watch that i if feel that like i've seen that i feel like i've seen that one yeah and i could probably keep going and going as i look oh the whiz the movie the whiz is oh yeah i've seen the whiz i ah. was a kid but i've seen the whiz he's on down the road yeah, that was one. See, that was one that the, the reason why I think, you know, to kind of put it in directing terms, the stage musical of The Wiz is nothing more than taking the Judy Garland version and adapting it for an all black um, cast. Right. But they don't separate. They kept the main character in Kansas and nothing really changes other than you're using uh, different demographic of actors. Whereas the Wiz was smart about, okay, let's, let's sort of update it a little bit. You know, let's put her in New York. I love that the munchkins are graffiti, you know, like everything, they, they, they kind of made it make sense with the culture that they were trying to represent. Um, And I even have thoughts on like how to take that even further to separate it from the, the bomb version or the movie version, the Judy Garland version, you know? So uh, plus, it's funny. The Wiz can be very funny if it's yeah, done right. yeah. And you get to see Michael Jackson and Nipsey Russell and you know just uh, Lena Horne and Richard Pryor. I mean, it, it was. It, I have a, uh, a friend of mine that we qu- we can quote that movie left and right, and whenever it's on, where wherever it's at, we'll just watch it because it's fantastic. Yeah, so that's a pretty good list. Here's something weird I heard about Greece recently. I was watching one of these YouTube videos. It was like top 10 movie endings that had people scratching their heads. <laughs> and Greece was part of it. And I was originally watching this going, why, why are people confused about the ending to Greece? And they show, you know, where they, they're in the car, the songs, they're singing the song and they fly off into the, into the sunset. And, Evidently, people were confused by that ending. I just thought it was a fun. It's a musical. They're just. It's just a fun ending. But apparently, there's some theories out there that 
the summer that Sandy died because John Travolta's character, what didn't he save her? He was saving her from, from drowning or something. And that's how they met. Yeah. And that actually what the movie is trying to say is that she really died over the summer and everything in the musical is, is this fantasy that she's the, you know, it's heaven and that's her finally ascending to heaven with Danny Zuko. I just, I don't, I don't know if you've ever heard that theory, but I thought that was pretty weird. I've heard that. I've also heard that when they did the, um, the car, the, the race that Danny's died. That's when Danny yeah. dies. And that's why after the race, Sandy becomes his version of what he thinks. Yeah. He I think, I think they mentioned that as well. Yeah. That's I that, that only proves to me that I don't really put a lot of thought into <laughs> stuff when I'm watching movies or reading books or whatnot. You know, when, when I listen uh, to some of those episodes that you, and I think Murdo did about um, the Watchmen, and there were all these different, you know, there's so many, that book is like a fricking onion. There's just so many layers. And I just, I didn't catch any of that stuff. I just, I obviously don't read that deeply into things, but. Well, I mean, I think books like that succeed because you can read so many different ways, yeah. right? I know some people get frustrated when, when the only way they try to read it, when they try to read it just to read it, it doesn't work, right? I know Morrison gets that, he gets that rap a lot and some Alan Moore stuff. Um, these sort of high concept writers who, who fail, you know, sometimes they fail and that's okay. You know, I, I think that's, I'm, I like to see failure as much as I like to see successes. You know, I'm always confused by people who say that was the perfect comic because it's like, well, if it's a perfect comic, why do you need to read any of why do you need to read yeah, any more? Then you're done. You're done. <laughs> you know? So, um, so I think you're right. Like read it the way you want to read it. And then if you want to go back and, and, and enjoy it in other ways, well, here's how, um, uh, there are times I, you know, especially on CGS where we would get into arguments about what a scene was trying to say or whatever. And, and there are many times where I would be like, Okay, now you're just being willfully ignorant and not trying to see what it is. When it when it when an author is trying to make certain points, then you you kind of gotta give over to it, or just say that you don't see it. But that's yeah. not the fault of the author, you know. Maybe you know. I'm not always beholden to the idea that if you don't understand something, it's the author's fault. That's not true. It's it's really based on experience and you you know what you're you know what you gravitate towards to. And if you don't want to if you can't see those things or don't see those things, that's fine. But it's not a failure of, of, of the product. Um, it's like, uh, what was I reading just recently? I was reading something and they, they created a, a, an image that uh, was clearly an homage to another cover. And it was meant to be, you know, and if someone didn't see that, okay, fine. I saw it. But if the person that didn't see it said, well, why should I know what that is? It's like, well, again, it's not that they're trying to evoke something to for the people who do understand it. So if you didn't know, then you just don't know. You don't know what that cover means, you know. So I don't know. It's, it's, no, and, and, you know, I think uh, I, I dig that kind of stuff. If, if I can see, you know, if I do get something else out of it, if I read it again, you know, I'd. First of all, it makes me feel smart if I catch what it is they're 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 trying to do behind the scenes there. But 
I just, I, I don't know. I typically don't, I don't catch that stuff. And a lot of times when it's pointed out, um, I, I find it pretty amazing that, that you can, that people can write that way and have all this hidden, hidden meaning that, uh, people can, can literally read the book over and over and over and catch something new every single time. Because then it, then it, it makes the book, um, even more priceless because you don't just read it once and you're done. You can, right. you can enjoy it over and over and over. Um, yeah. I do remember, do you remember the old bull, bullpen bulletins with Vince and Dave? Sure. Um, I remember listening to one of their episodes and they were talking about the first issue of um, Astonishing X-Men. And there's a scene in that book where Kitty Pride, her, her first appearance in the issue, and she goes into the X-Mansion and she does it by phasing through the front door. And Vince, I, I love Vince and Dave, I'll, I'll, I'll just say that first, but Vince starts talking about how the meaning behind that scene and how her phasing through the door was a, was the author's way of expressing how the 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 mansion is part of her. And for a moment, she and the mansion became one. And I'm like, no, I think he was just trying to show new readers what her powers were right off the bat, you know, but for Vince, that's what he got out of it. And I think yeah. it's great that somebody can read something like that and find this deep meaning that, uh, you know, it just, it just makes it, makes it more of an experience for them. I just, I don't want to say I'm not smart enough to catch a lot of that stuff, but I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think I take enough time. I think I just, I just read stuff and I just take it in and, uh, sure. If I catch it, I catch it. If I don't, I don't. I mean, what Vince, that kind of thing, I always try to preface it with like, look, this is me just seeing this. Yeah. Like, I freely admit this is me seeing it. Because that you're right. Like, that's that's something a little bit more subjective, I think. Um, but like, take, for instance, uh, okay, let's, let's go to Star Wars. Um, <laughs> when the trailer dropped for the last recent movie, the trilogy, I, I don't mm -hmm. um, rise of Skywalker. Right. Yeah. And it was Ray just standing in the desert and listening. And then all of a sudden the ship comes and, and then she flips over whatever. Somebody pointed out uh, an older movie that had kind of the same ass thing of some guy standing in a desert and then a car or plane comes towards him. And it's sort of, the, it's a popular movie and it's a popular shot. Like it was a movie shot. Right. And they were like, well, they, they were probably homaging, you know, doing an homage to whatever that was. I never would have gotten that because yeah. I'm, I'm not a big movie buff, right? Um, it meant something to them. Maybe it meant something to the creators or it was just an accident because or coincidence because how else do you film something like that? You know, like, um, is it any different when Jack Nicholson is standing in his Joker outfit and he sees the black bat plane and he says, come on, come at me. Right. Like there's only so many ways you can film that sort of thing because, you know, think of like Christopher Nolan's Joker when Batman's on the bat pod and he does the same thing. He's like, come on, hit me, hit me. It's the same sequence. It's the same, like all three of those things. How else do you film it? You yeah. know, I don't know. So Sometimes it gets a little too much in this, into the subjective. So that's when I go, okay, this is my head canon, or this is me thinking this. This is not, I'm not trying to say the author is saying this, you know. Yeah. Um, I only say the author is saying it when I know for a fact that it's clearly like an homage or something. Yeah. Like yeah. 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 It's like, uh, I don't know if you watched, um, do, you, do you have Disney Plus? No. Okay. 
It's it's when I watch the 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 two new uh, they dropped the two new episodes of uh, WandaVision. You know, whenever I watch something like that, there's a, a couple of YouTube channels that I'll go to a few hours later and they'll be like, here are all the Easter eggs you missed sure. out of this episode. And some of them I feel like are actual put in there by purpose. You know, the filmmaker obviously put that in there. Some of them I'm I think he, I think they're stretching, but uh, the, I never catch most of them. But um, <laughs> it's really interesting to to see that. Hey, it's very afterwards. rare that it's very rare that I can just sit down. And then just enjoy something to enjoy it. Yeah. And it's like, I miss that. And it's to the point where I started to do that regularly. I started to say, you know what? I want to read this or I want to watch this. Not because I want to do a podcast on it. I just want to enjoy it. And I've, I've been making myself do that um, so that the rest of the stuff doesn't feel like homework. Because if that's yep. all you do all the time, it's hard to turn. After 15 years, it's hard to turn my podcaster brain off. Yeah. Um, so I try to make sure what am I doing with this? I'm just watching. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, all the, the 1989 Batman, I just watched that last night. I probably haven't seen it in 15, 20 years. Oh, wow. And, uh, loved it. Still holds up for me. It still held up. Heck yeah. That I probably saw that movie 20 times in the theater. That wow. movie was, uh, and I don't, I, I'm no, I'm no, I'm not shy about, saying I don't really care for Batman these days because uh, I think there have been a lot of writers that have handled him in a way that just annoys the crap out of me when he's like, I'm going to fight Darkseid and I'm going to take him out because I'm Batman and, and I know all the ins and outs and I can plan for everything. That gets on my nerves after a while. But uh, yeah, really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed watching that again. It was real fun. It's fun to go back. I mean, it's so it's and and it's so easy to go back these days too and just go, there's sometimes when I'm, when I can't sleep and I'm on like a, a rabbit hole on YouTube and I'll go, okay, what am I watching? I don't know. Let me just, so, and then out of nowhere I go, let me see the opening of the GI Joe cartoon move, movie, that awesome Statue yeah. of Liberty fight yeah. where you get to see all the vehicles. Like that's it. I don't want to watch the rest yeah. of the movie. I just want to watch that. And then I'm like, Hmm, what else can I watch? Oh, how about let's watch where, where, you know, uh, Optimus Prime dies and when Megatron dies and gets turned into Galvatron. Let me just watch. I just want to watch that little bit. And it's the same thing with the movies, right? Like you can, you can watch so many clips on YouTube these days of just like, or like I have the DCU app. So, you know, if I get, if I'm cooking and I just put on a random justice league unlimited cartoon, you know? Um, uh, yeah, that I, I love doing that kind of stuff and just, it kind of makes you remember how pure your geekdom was at one yep. point or another. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. I saw the, the transformers animated movie in the theater. Oh, so did I was quite, first of all, was quite shocked at the use of the S word. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. Oh no. It was prime dying. Yeah. The music, the craziness, the, 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 the guy who can talk really fast from the commercial, yeah, the micro machines guy. Yeah. <laughs> Do you mind if I ask how old you are? I am, uh, Jesus, I don't remember, 48. Me too. 72? Yep, 72. All right, well, I got one more question, and then we can wrap this sucker up, uh, because my back tends to not like sitting here for too long. (laughs) Um, What comics are you into right now? So I'm reading right now, one of of my pleasure comics uh, is Planetary, because I've never finished it. I don't think Um, I've ever read Planetary. 
yeah, it's good. It's one of those, you know, we're, we're talking about Easter eggs and, and, you know, homages. I mean, that's one that Warren Ellis is really uh, kind of show like he's playing around with, with archetypes and, and, you know, pulp heroes, Shazam, the justice league, the fantastic four. Um, I never finished it because the, the last few issues were dreadfully late. So I never finished it. Um, uh, and then speaking of the same artist, John Cassidy, uh, I'm rereading because again, I don't think I finished it. You brought it up earlier. Astonishing X-Men. Um, and I'm also going, I went back and started to read for the very first time, giant size X-Men number one. All the way up to when I started reading wow. X-Men, which was the 180, I think it was. I've read the Dark Phoenix Saga, and I've read um, Days of Future Past, and I've read like mm-hmm. one or two other John Byrne issues, but I haven't read the Cockrum stuff, so I started that, and I've never read any of the Paul Smith era X-Men. So I'm yeah, in, I, re- I recently read those. They're yeah. really good. So, you know, that's a that's a... God, if you really want to be called like a comic book pundit or whatever, like you got to read that. So I'm like, okay, yeah. let me do that so I can stop embarrassing myself. Um, and then um, I'm reading the Marvel saga from the eighties. I was doing a bunch of stuff on Twitter about that, like things that I'm learning about the Marvel universe. I just recently read justice league, endless winter. Um, Is that any good? you could really read like the first chapter and the last chapter and it's kind of all you need. It's a, well, that's, it. that was one of my, one of my options the month that that came out for the, for the, my patrons to pick and they didn't pick it. And I was slightly, slightly upset about it. But, um, I would say like, if you have the DCU app, if someone has a DCU app they, and they read it on there, then great. Cause then you're reading it for free or whatever. Yeah. Um, but well, I, let me also say this to about the book. There are a lot of people who are tired of crossovers, mm-hmm. but I feel like this is a crossover that you don't need 20 years of history. You know, it's just a fun, light crossover with some really good artwork, some really, some interesting ideas. Um, but by the end of it, I was kind of like, okay, that, I don't know how much more I would give to that, you know, but some people yeah. might like it just for the story. So that's fine. Have uh, you read um, Tom Taylor's suicide squad? No, I have not really good. I don't, I haven't read a lot of Tom Taylor and I really, is Tom Taylor the writer behind injustice and all that? Yes. Yeah. And uh, I had a, a friend uh, who kept trying to get me to read injustice and I'm, I, I wouldn't do it because what's the point? It's a video game and it's out of continuity. And that's why would I want to read a video game comic? That's stupid. <laughs> and then I finally read it and it's, it's really good. He's, uh, he's quickly become one of my top five writers. Yeah. I feel like when, when I get to writers like that, I want to go to the thing that made them kind of, you know, established them. Yeah. Uh, so that is one, that's, that's something I want to, I want to try to do. I, I thought about it and I didn't. Um, but I'm also trying to read uh, stuff from like older books in my in my collection. Um, uh, what did I just pull out? Um, I pulled out the original Lobo miniseries. Um, oh, there was something else, and I can't remember what it was. I can't. Uh, it's escaping me. But it, there's. Uh, oh, I read. Um, uh, 
it was for another podcast, but I read this Lois Lane and the Jimmy Olsen miniseries, maxi series, mm-hmm. and they're pretty good. They're really great. The but, recent ones, yeah. Yeah. The Jimmy Olsen, Jimmy Olsen one is a lot of fun and has some I've, really great cartooning in it. It's so good. I've, I've heard good things about the Jimmy yeah. Olsen book. They're worth it. They're definitely yeah. worth it. Yeah. So, well, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get a lot of new books these days. Um, any books I read nowadays, I, I read digitally. Um, cause I just, I like, I've, I've reached that age where I don't have room for anything else. I hear you. So just being able to carry my collection around on that is pretty nice. Yeah. Um, but through Marvel Unlimited, <clears throat> I started reading, I tell you, do you, do you have anything like that? Like a Marvel Unlimited or a, the DC? I, I have the DC app. Yeah. The first thing that happened with Marvel Unlimited is I just did. It, it's, it's like suddenly you have so much to read. Where do you start? I, it's exactly right. And uh, I ended up finally just, I just picked a year and I started in 1983. And uh, I'm just, I'm about finished. I'm not reading everything. I'm picking and choosing. There are certain, but I don't want to read everything. Right. Um, But I'm reading stuff like Daredevil and the Amazing Spider-Man and X-Men and Captain America. They've got the Mike Zek, Captain America right now. Those are, that's some good stuff. Uh, Fantastic Four, John Byrne. Yep. The New Defenders, which. Yeah have great covers and the interior art is never as good as those covers. It's, right. You know, they got a lot of Sienkiewicz and, and just great covers. I collected so, a lot of those. Yeah. Did you, but, uh, are you doing Simons and Thor? Yes. Yeah. Also yep. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just, to, they have been recolored though. I don't know if you've, uh, if you've, and it's, it's not horrible, but it's not, it's I'm not, not a fan of that. Yeah. It's not the classic. Yeah. Know, if, if they recolor it so it still has the element, the 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 pic, not the pixel, but the whatever they whatever it's called, and it still looks like newsprint, but it's slightly recolored. I'm fine. Yeah. But when it's like a wa- it's straight wash of color, it doesn't work because that's not. Yeah, I always, I always feel like the, that's not what the artist drew. Right. They didn't draw right. that. You know. Yep. And it's not over the top. You know how when digital coloring really became a thing. And people were really going over the top with skin tone and flare. Yeah, just all that crap. It's not that bad. Okay. Um, But it's not, it's not just a four color thing that it used to be, you know, where it it looks more like it's just a flatted book than a full color book. But it's, it's still enjoyable. I really enjoy the idea that uh, um, Thor uh, stops being Donald Blake and Mm -hmm. he's, uh, what was his name? Sigurd. Jarlson or something like that. And he's this just freaking giant guy with the ponytail and glasses. If you, um, if you haven't already, make sure you, you throw in Marvel, the miniseries in the eighties from Marvel, all of them, all like, like, um, Jack of hearts and Hercules and Kitty pride and Wolverine magic. Um, I just started oh, magic. Um, Falcon. Falcon. Yeah. I just started magic. I read the first one. It was, I found it a little slow and a little weird, but I'm going to keep going because I love John Buscema. Yeah. Um, Kitty Pride and Wolverine was one of my first series as a kid. Oh, I was cool. I was really into Wolverine because I saw him on uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. And my brother, who was actually, he was the one that really collected the comics. He kind of passed that down to me. He said, hey, here's this new book coming out. It's Kitty Pride and Wolverine. And that was like one of the first things I ever collected. I think I think all those miniseries, even though they're not all great, 
were so interesting because they allowed Marvel to play with their other characters, maybe some new writers, some new artists. And, but they, they also made, they, they kind of stayed in continuity. Um, yeah. Like the beauty and the beast one with beast and dazzler, which is not very good, but it had some ramifications and, um, there's a whole bunch, Nightcrawler, Iceman, Gargoyle, Namor. Yeah. God, they, I loved, I loved those miniseries. They were saying, yeah. oh, the Hawkeye one's good. Hawkeye's good. Yeah, just finished that one today. Yeah. Just, just read issue four when it was a really weird ending because <laughs> it's like they, they take out the bad guys and then they, he, he can't hear and she's trying to ask him out. And so he doesn't want to fee- be embarrassed. So he just ignores her and walks away. And then, Boom, you turn the page and they've been married and they're right. on their honeymoon. It's a really weird way to end that, to end yeah. that series. Yeah, that was good. West Coast Avengers is also another one that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yep. Yeah. I think I, I think I picked a pretty good, cause I, I think I started reading Marvel. Um, it would have been in 85. Is that when Secret Wars started? 84? I think Secret Wars is when I, is when I really started to read Marvel okay. comics. But, uh, I, my, um, like I said, my brother was the was the collector. He would go to the actual comic book store, but he talked my parents into allowing each of us. I have two brothers, so there were three of us, <laughs> allowing each of us to tick to pick two Marvel comics to get a subscription to, because oh. he knew he'd be able to read them. Um, and I had picked Captain America and GI Joe, and uh, so I'm really my Captain America's most. I mean, I got most of that Grunewald run. Yeah, was yeah, Captain yeah. America. Leading up to 300, I, I was getting those. Yeah, the, yep. the fight with Red Skull. As a kid, I mean, I used to read everything. So it was only later that I kind of picked DC over Marvel. But um, And it's so interesting that I was there for Burn, Fantastic Four, and Simonson on Thor. And um, I missed Frank Miller's first Daredevil, but I, I saw that Born Again yeah. uh, cover, and I, the first issue, and I picked it up, you know, like – it was so interesting to be to read comics at that time that now everybody looks back on and goes, well, that was like the height of the eighties, you know? And I was like, yeah. Oh, I was just, I was just buying books. <laughs> so yeah, good stuff. That's all good stuff. Yep. Well, I had, and I, I had, uh, I'd read the, the Miller run and completely forgot that he had stopped and then came back with born again. And it was, uh, Mazzucchelli on it. Yeah. So all I could remember was that Miller had a great run on Daredevil. So I'm reading these old books and I'm like, this is, this is all right. This isn't the earth turning stuff that I remember it being. And then suddenly he goes away and I'm kind of shaking my head and and then bam, I, I come to born again. I'm like, Oh, this is what I remember. Yeah. Right. But what's weird is really my, my deepest memories for Daredevil is um, the Ann Nascenti, uh John Romita Jr. stuff with daredevil which had like freaking the devil in it and stuff like that which is pretty weird i've never read those i know that i know a lot of people talk about that run but i I haven't gotten to that i i haven't read them since i was a kid but i think that's why i've started back in 83 i'm trying to get in you know move my way up to all the stuff that i used to read as a kid i uh was i remember really being in the alpha flight as a kid but i recently started reading those again and they're all right. They're not as good as I remember them being, yeah. but they're still kind of fun. Such an interesting book though, because it was almost like anti-superhero, you know, they yeah. were more about their personal lives yep. for the first, you know, 
especially the first 12 issues. Um, and Burns artwork is, you know, was you know, for, for as crazy as he is, you know, it was, it was pretty damn good on that book. It's, it's, yeah, the, 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 you don't get that these days too much where an artist can just kind of breathe on a book and yeah. do what they want, unless it's like an independent or, but when it comes to the mainstream stuff now, nah, that's just, it's just stuff like that doesn't happen anymore. No, I read uh, his first Fantastic Four book and I talked about it on uh, an old podcast I did. And it was, you know, it's like nowadays you get a new creative team that jumps on a book and that first issue is setting up what's going to happen for at least the next six or the next five issues. And John Byrne's first issue was just this done in one. Diablo was in it. It was really no big deal. And but that's the, you know, they people talk about great runs and John Byrne's. Fantastic Four is a great run, but it's not, they just, I mean, I'm not one of these, they just don't do comics the way they used to, but they, they really don't. Right. And, right. uh, and that's, that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing, but yeah, you know, Probably, I was gonna say, the only person who, and I think you read, do you read Savage Dragon? No, I no. used to. Okay. I think that's like the only yeah. person that's doing comics the way we might remember how they yep. did comics. You know, he's just, yeah. he's just doing his comics. That's it. Yeah. 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 I was, I was, of course you were there too when, when image started up and I read all those books as they were coming out and I probably still have bricks of number one issues somewhere <laughs> up in my room. I remember distinctly being at a comic book convention. I think it was in Chicago and people, uh, retailers that were there, they had literally, you could buy a brick of spawn number one. And that's the moment I realized, yeah, these books aren't going to be worth anything. If you could, if you, if you're buying them by the brick, they're not going to be worth a damn, but people were, Oh my gosh, here's 20 issues of spawn. Number one, this is, I'm going to, I'm going to get my kid through college with this. I still see them in 25 cent bins and 10 cent bins and first issues. I think I even, I think I did pick up, I saw young blood one was in one of those 25 cent. And I had since sold mine years ago. Uh, not, not for anything, but, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to pick it. I'm going to buy it just because I want, yeah. I want that book again, you know, cause it was such a moment in time, man. He's one of those guys, Rob Liefeld, you know, I remember his, his new mutants and his X-Force and just being in love with his stuff. And he's one of those creators that whenever he puts something new out, I just, I want to get it. I just have to get it because I want to feel like I did the first time I read his stuff and you just, you don't because it, it is, it isn't great. And, and I think he kind of knows that, but he doesn't care because he has a huge, he has a huge following regardless. He's just, he's yeah. just going to go and do his stuff and he's going to sell books and people love him. But it's, it's, uh, there's that, 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 uh, preteen, however old I was. Well, no, cause that would have been, that was 91, 99, 90, Yeah. Yeah, so, so I would have been out of high school. Oh yeah, his new mutant but, stuff. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's never gonna. It's, you, you just can't go back again. You just can't go home again. You know. If you have Amazon Prime, they have a really good documentary about the image boom, birth, uh, with interviews with all those creators, and it's so good because you get to see them when they're younger, when they're older, and and I learned a few things on there. Um, it's not all new information, but if you don't know anything about it, it's 
it's great. It's a good documentary. I'll look it up. I watched yeah. a like a five piece thing on YouTube through Sci-Fi Wire that was mm. they they talked to they talked to all of them at the at the time that they were making it, which was a, few, a couple of years ago. But it was really good, and it was really fun because Robert Kirkman was part of it. Right. Since since he's now a founder, you know, an, an official founder, and it was it was really kind of fun watching him talk about how he would go into the comic book store and. and he discovered for the first time that you could get a pull list and they could pull stuff and put it in a box. And all he got were the image books. And, uh, and then he ends up being a founder. I, I, yeah. I just, I find him, I find him kind of a fascinating guy. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be, to be a, someone who's that creative and uh, has had a history over that many years. You know, you, you don't just get through that um, without having some kind of bravado. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, and that's when I learned that when he was doing Walking Dead, he had sold it to Image. They Somebody had said to him at one point, well, you got to, we need something. It, it can't just be a zombie book. That's nobody wants just a zombie book. And he said, oh, well, um, issue number four, we're going to find out that it's aliens. <laughs> and they were like, okay, we can do that. And then after a while, somebody, I think Jim Valentino was like, when are the aliens going to come in? And by that point, it was too late because it was already selling record numbers. Right. And he's I like, think that's yeah, the same documentary. There's, that I saw there's no aliens. That. Yeah. 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 It's good. So it's good stuff. So fun. All right. Well, um, it was good talking to you. Um, yeah. I'd love to have you back sometime. Definitely. Um, maybe, maybe along you, you know, with one of your Marvel reads, if you're reading something. Yeah. yeah maybe we can oh, pick right, something. Right. The... Yeah. That'd be fun. That'd be cool. All right. Cool. cool. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to stop the, the broadcast so the people won't see us, but we'll still be on for a few minutes awesome. to wrap it up. But for those of you who may be watching live, peace. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Say
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.